I don't know if Matt knew this, uh, but we had Nauman preaching this morning at Grace and Peace, and uh, I had this great plan to not preach the day after Presbytery. Nauman was going to come up, and then Matt asked, and I thought, I can't say no, because City Reform has been so good to us. I think all of your pastors have preached for us uh, since I've been there, so... Uh, I'm very glad to be able to be here and serve, although it is a bit daunting to come and to conclude a series that I haven't heard any of. Uh, I probably should have gone and, and listened to uh, all the other sermons, but I didn't, so I apologize if anything here is a, is a repeat. Uh, our passages tonight uh, are coming from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, and the book of Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for your word that you have given to us. And we pray this evening that you would speak to us through it, that you would remind us of your goodness and your faithfulness and your grace to us in and through Christ. Pray that you would be with me to help me to be a a true messenger, help all of us to have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. Do this for Christ's glory and for our good, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, two maybe quick things to say by, by way of introduction here. Uh, and the first is this, that since this is a, uh, a topical sermon, concluding a topical series, I, I'm hopeful that you'll give me a little leeway. Uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, I'm just going to be upfront. I'm not going to deal fully with either of these passages. Uh, rather, I'm going to kind of focus in on one part of each of them, trying to show how they're connected to and inform this topic of hospitality, particularly this topic of hospitality and and mission. And to that end, I'm also going to be referring to lots of other places in Scripture. The second kind of connected to that idea of the topic is is just to say, I I realize that in reading these passages and supposedly coming to give a sermon on hospitality, it might raise some eyebrows. These two passages are not probably the go-to passages on hospitality that people would think about when you think about the New Testament. However, uh, I think as we, we consider some of the implications here, we see that, that these show us that hospitality is, is deeply tied to the Bible's teaching on God's mission. Uh, 
And so as we come to these, these passages, as we consider some of their meaning today, I, 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 do, I do have three points. I mean, I am a Presbyterian, um, but maybe this is the third point of introduction. Really, I just have one point. So I have one big point, and that's the power of hospitality. And then the, the second two points are really points of application. So we're going to talk about the power of hospitality, and then the call of hospitality, and the comfort of hospitality. So the, the power of hospitality. Uh, I, I'm, I'm imagining you've, you've probably heard a bit about this in, in this past month. And it, it really doesn't take a whole lot to demonstrate the power of hospitality, right? It's, it's a very powerful thing. So much so that in a lot of kind of Christian leadership circles, there's a, a, a well-worn phrase that's connected to the idea of hospitality when it comes to mission and evangelism. It's this, this saying that oftentimes people convert to community before they convert to Christ. And, and what people are getting at there is that, that human beings find connection in community, right? Through, through acts of hospitality, through their experience of these acts of, of invitation, of welcome, uh, of service, that it's often in, in that experience that they open up more fully to the claims of Christ. And they open up more fully to truly consider those claims. It, it, it's just a fact that I have found to be true throughout my ministry that, that oftentimes the, the practice of hospitality has much more power to open people up than, than any formal arguments for the Christian faith, any other church programs or, or programmatic approaches to evangelism. Hospitality has, for some reason, the power to open people up to Jesus, to listen, to consider. And again, I'm guessing that in the course of this series on hospitality, you've heard lots of stories about hospitality. Uh, I'm going to tell you one more. We'll title it. I'll call it the, the, the story of the Oilers and the Dirtbag. So the Oilers are a Christian family I know, uh, kind of your, your typical, traditional Christian family, uh, mom and dad, three kids, and uh, they, they got connected to a young man who we'll call the dirtbag, because while that's kind of a rude phrase, that's, that's kind of what he was. Uh, he, he didn't look anything like them, uh, long hair, shaggy, stoner, into drugs, into drinking, smoked like a, a chimney, cussed like a sailor. But the Oilers got connected to him and began in inviting him into their home, bringing him over for a meal, investing time. They treated him not as he deserved, because uh, he was pretty rude and, and crass, but as Christ commanded, with love and kindness and patience and gentleness. And they, they made a place for him, not just at their table, but in their home, he would stay over every once in a while. Their oldest son was about the same age, their friends. And they made a place for him in their lives. And over time, God used that hospitality to, to demolish his cynicism. Up to that point, he, he didn't have anything very positive to say about the Christian church or Christians in general or, or the faith. He was deeply cynical, deeply skeptical. But as they opened up their homes to him, it opened him up to the gospel. 
And as he discovered that he had a, a place at their table and in their house, it made him more open to the idea that, that maybe there was a place at Christ's table in the house of the Father. And, and I can speak confidently to the fact that it was the, the power of hospitality that, that God used to do this work in this young man's life because that dirt bag was me about 28 years ago. And the Oilers were a family that, that cared well for me. However, you know, we hear these stories, and, you know, I like that story. <laughs> it's got a, some, some deep meaning for me. But you've probably heard others like it. And, and while they illustrate the power of hospitality, it doesn't really explain it. It doesn't tell us why. So why, why is hospitality such a powerful thing? Well, there's, there's probably lots of reasons Right? There, there's psychological, emotional, social explanations for this. Right? It fulfills some of Maslow's needs. Right? We're, we're finding connection, security, provision, belonging. These are deep human things. Right? Everybody has this, this sense of needing to be loved, of wanting to belong, wanting to connect. Everybody wants to be welcomed. Everybody wants to be wanted. And at some level, everybody wants to connect with a place and with a people to know that they belong somewhere. But again, that just presses the question, why? And, and again, there may be all sorts of therapeutic explanations for this, but at the end of the day, I would argue that, that all these psychological and emotional and social reasons, which are true, they find their root simply in the fact that this is what we were made for. That in the way God has designed humanity, these needs and these longings are something deep within us. And now as you consider the story of Scripture, you go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. And you see in the creation of Adam and Eve that they're, they're created for community. Right? They're created to, to be fruitful and to fill the earth, to flourish. And in Genesis 2, God sees Adam and says, it's not good that man should be alone. It creates a helper, a partner. And, and yet the other picture that we have here is this fellowship that they have with God. This communion that they have as they, they walk with him in the garden, in Eden, this, this place of safety and, and flourishing and fulfillment and peace. But of course we get to Genesis 3. And human sin fractures all of that. Human relationships now are, are fraught with this sense of isolation from one another. Adam and Eve are, are blaming each other, hiding from each other. They are no longer naked and unashamed, but deeply ashamed. But we know that obviously the bigger problem is that it, it fractures their relationship with God. It, it fractures their communion with God. And I don't think it's a stretch to connect this to hospitality when you remember that that all culminates in Genesis 3 with exile. They're sent out of the garden. In a real sense, when our first parents fall into sin, they cause humanity to lose their home. Their home with God. And so this, this universal sense of wanting to belong and wanting to be welcomed and wanting to, to be connected and loved and cared for is not just a psychological, emotional, social need. It's a deeply spiritual need. 
Right? There, it's the well-known uh, illustration. I'm sure most of you heard of the, the God-shaped hole inside every one of us. And, and it's drawn from St. Augustine's uh, famous prayer. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and restless are our hearts until they find rest in you. But the human heart is looking for a place of rest, a place of welcome. Or as those other great theologians, the band Lincoln Park once said, I want to heal. I want to feel like I'm close to something real. I want to find something I've wanted all along, somewhere I belong. This is the deep human longing that we have. And if you put this back into the sense of the story of Scripture, what we find is that throughout the Bible, God is constantly using imagery of a home and of a dwelling place and of presence and hospitality as the answer to that need. In the Old Testament, as God calls his people out of of slavery in Egypt, what has he promised them? a promised land, a place to be and to dwell securely, to flourish. And as he establishes them as his people, he gives them first the tabernacle and then the temple, this symbolic dwelling place of God in the midst of that community where they are invited to come and to meet with him. And in that sacrificial system of the Old Testament, many of those sacrifices were then turned into fellowship meals, where they ate in renewed relationship with their God and with one another. And throughout the Old Testament, these images continue to abound, leading into the New Testament, which you might say finally brings us to these passages. And you consider these New Testament passages, and while they don't directly have anything to say about hospitality, we would say, right, these are passages all about salvation. John 14 is the clearest one, right? This is the famous salvation passage, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And yet in this passage, Jesus isn't just talking about the salvation we can know and experience here and now, but he's looking ahead to the fullness of salvation, of when it will be completed. He's he's talking to the disciples about how he is going to depart After his crucifixion and and his resurrection, he will ascend and leave them. But that doesn't mean things are done. There's something more coming. And, And that's what Revelation 19 is praising God for and calling us to praise God for, right? That's the great multitude, like a water that's rushing and crushing. All these people praising God that his salvation is now complete. And yet, What imagery do both of these passages use for the completion of salvation? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. It's the imagery of a home. And not just a home, a home that is a place for you. 
It's imagery of, of, of invitation, of welcome, of belonging, of connection. And just think of that, that, that language of a place being prepared for you. Right? It's the difference between checking into a cheap motel while you're on the road and staying with a dear friend. I had the opportunity this last summer to, to go and to speak at a, a Bible conference in Canada, and I, and I stayed with some friends of mine, Jeff and Katie. And you know what? I got to their house, and when I got to the room that they had put me up in, they had put all of these Canadian treats out for me, special candies, special snacks that, that they thought I would enjoy. They prepared a place for me. They put thought and care into how they could provide for me. This is what Jesus is saying. Salvation and the fullness of salvation is his thoughtful care and provision for you, preparing a place where you belong. And in Revelation 19, it's not really different. It's a complementary image. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And now here it is. The angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. You know what the picture of salvation is? The picture of the fullness of the kingdom of God come. It's a picture of an invitation to a party, to a feast, to a celebration, and not just a random celebration, a marriage celebration, one of intimacy and rejoicing over love. This is the, the picture of God's purpose and mission for all things. The end of mission is hospitality. It's life with God. It's God bringing us home to himself. This is why in two chapters, Revelation will go on to rejoice over the fact that the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and he will be their God. God is preparing a place. It's a culmination with this imagery of an amazing hospitality that's almost unimaginable. That the Lord of the universe, the one by whom and through whom and in whom all things hold together, the one who is the word who was with God and who was God in the very beginning, the one who is the Lord is preparing a place for you is inviting you to come and to feast and to celebrate. This is why hospitality is so powerful. It's powerful because it is a picture and a foretaste of heaven. When we practice biblical hospitality, we are bringing a bit of heaven to earth. We are showing forth the gospel. We are making it touchable and tasteable and experienceable. It's probably not a word. But right, when, when we invite others in and when we practice biblical hospitality, what we're doing them is giving them exposure to the fruit and part of the fullness of God's love in the good news of the gospel. 
Yes, it is only through the finished work of Christ who came and dwelt among us to call us out of darkness into his life, who went to the cross and who died for our sins and who rose from the dead and ascended to the Father, but he went away to prepare a place for us and he's coming back. Biblical hospitality is a very powerful tool of outreach and mission, but it is not just a means of doing mission. It's an exposure to the fulfillment of God's mission. It's a preview, a trailer of his great welcome and his great hospitality to be experienced at the end of time. That's why it's so powerful. This is the power of hospitality. I'm going to be fairly quick with these two points of application. The call of hospitality, I'm, I'm guessing you've heard a bit about in this series. Right? In the New Testament, in particular, there's very clear calls. I think some of them are listed on the next page in the order of worship there. Romans 12, Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 4, we're, we are instructed to practice hospitality. So important in God's economy that the elders and the pastors of the church are required in 1 Timothy and in Titus to be hospitable. That is a requirement, not just sound doctrine and teaching, but hospitable. And I think that makes sense when you, you see what hospitality is and what the fullness of it is, right? It, it is a call to embody the hospitality of God. Our call to be hospitable is a call to extend the welcome of Jesus, to feed and clothe as we've been fed and clothed, to care for and provide and protect as we've been cared for and provided for and protected. And I think this is why part of my requirement for my office is to be hospitable. is because if, if I fail to practice hospitality, I distort the gospel. If I make the gospel a set of axioms and, and logical ideas, and that's it, something's gone horribly wrong. We're called to show forth the love of God. Yes, to preach it. Yes, to teach it. Yes, to clearly proclaim it, but to also demonstrate it and make it touchable and tangible. And, and in that, our hospitality does need to be distinctly Christian. And there's maybe all sorts of, of meaning to that, but I would say this. It, it probably means that it'll look a little bit like the table fellowship of Jesus. Jesus' table fellowship, the hospitality he practiced with others, scandalized the religious because he welcomed dirt bags like me. He practiced love and care for people who did not deserve to be at his table. He served those who should have served him. And maybe, and I know that this is a part of the vision of City Reformed, and one that, that I admire and, and look to as an example for our own church, Maybe just one final thing here. If you go to this passage in Revelation 19 and you look at the context, particularly as we get to Revelation 21 and 22, it's a hospitality that's incredibly diverse. It's this multitude, this grand multitude of every tribe and nation bringing their glory in. That's a Christian hospitality. Not just inviting everybody that we like already, 
Not just inviting everybody that looks like us, everybody whose company we enjoy. Sometimes it'll require patience. Sometimes it just requires awkward conversations. But sometimes it, it just has to look different. The call of, of hospitality, the comfort of hospitality is where I want to end. And, and maybe this is just a good close to the series. I hope so. If not, you don't have to invite me back. It's okay. But I just say this. This is not just a theoretical idea. Right? It is interesting here in John 14 that Jesus is given this imagery to his disciples because they're troubled. They're troubled at his departure. What does that mean for us? Let not your hearts be troubled. He's offering this as a a comfort to them to know that I'm getting something ready for you. This invitation is for you. I'm preparing it for you. You're you're going to be blessed, as Revelation 19 says, because you are invited to the feast and to the marriage supper. And I I hope that is a comfort to you. I I hope that that imagery is, is something that makes you want Jesus. But it may be a particular comfort to you tonight if you're feeling just burdened. I know we can talk about hospitality and, and these sorts of things. And, and for some of us, that can just feel like one more thing to do. <sighs> How do I do this? And I keep up my prayer journal, and I go to church, and I got to do this small group. Now I got to be hospitable. I know, it can, it can feel like a burden. If you're feeling burdened, just know this Jesus is preparing a place for you. He's ultimately offering you hospitality. Jesus is inviting you to the feast. That's your hope. And this might be a comfort because some of us may just be distracted. Some of you may be sold on the idea of hospitality, but your problem is that we get, we get so caught up in doing it, right? We're like Martha and that story of Mary Martha. We're so, so busy doing these things of the Lord that we don't rest in him. Well, Jesus is preparing a place for you. Jesus is inviting you to come and to rest, to come and to feast, to come and know that there is a place where you belong because he has clothed you. He has given you those white garments, those righteous deeds. It's not about what you're offering up for him. It's about the fact that he has offered himself up for you bring you into this place. And that's how the gospel changes it, right? If you are caught up with the burden of this or the distraction of this, maybe just set it aside for a while and spend time considering what God is preparing for you. Because the more you are able to revel in the fact that you being who you are are invited to celebrate to feast, that you being what you are, are one whom Jesus says, don't be troubled. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm making up a room where you belong. The more you're able to to revel in that, the more that hospitality you offer will be hospitality of joy. 
That's the, the mission of hospitality. Simply to show what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray.